DJ and PK, we're joined now by Andy Bailey, NBA analyst for Bleacher Report. He's on the Smart Rain guest line. It's no secret that Utah is in an extreme drought. That's why Smart Rain is a solution for any commercial property concerned about water consumption while managing irrigation. Find out more at smartrain.net. Andy, welcome back to the show. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Andy, I think we're going to start off with a question that is on everybody's mind. I'm just going to ask it on behalf of the people. What the bleep just happened, Andy? <laughs> Come on! Man, I it, it was a total meltdown. I think that's what happened. Um, when when the news broke that Kawhi Leonard sprained his knee and was you know out indefinitely, that was sort of the door opening for the Jazz. Obviously, I mean, I I think at that point they were clearly the better team, um, and. <laughs> I, I still think they have a better roster than a Kawhi-less Los Angeles Clippers. Um, they just got hit with that small ball lineup and, and never made any kind of an adjustment. And I think that's the big takeaway. There's there's a lot of people today and, you know, the last few days in the national media and elsewhere kind of wringing their hands about Rudy Gobert and how you can't pay him and play him in the playoffs. You can't possibly pay him that contract that he's he's got. Um, and it just won't work. But, I think the bigger takeaway is you just have to be able to adjust. Um, there are 24, 25 teams in the NBA that Rudy Gobert just dominates, and you, you need to have him out there against those teams. But the teams that can go small in the playoffs, we've seen year after year, can go far in the playoffs, and, and Utah has to have some kind of counter for that. Even if it's just for a few minutes here and there, um, you have to be able to stem that tide. When Terrence Mann is hitting <laughs> – three after three in the corner and, and yelling at the the opposing players. I think at one point he was yelling at Gobert. Um, you've you've got to have some other counter. Um, try anything else at some point. I, I think it's a meltdown in a bunch of different ways because, like I said, if you if, if I look at those two rosters even today, I think that the, that the Jazz, and they weren't healthy either, frankly, um, but I still think that's a better roster than the Clippers without Kawhi. Totally agree with you on the Jazz health. There's nothing that can really be done about that. I don't think there's enough being talked about about Paul George mm-hmm. just running over Donovan Mitchell away from the ball in garbage time at the yep. end of Game 2. But as much as it would be fun to sit around and complain about that, and that's worth complaining about, and I don't think there's been enough said about that, you know, c- coaches tell players, control what you can control. So now I think the message for the players, the coaches in the front office is, well, control what you can t- control. You can't control Paul George running Donovan over. You can't control that Donovan and, and Mike Conley had the injuries in the regular season that sidelined him the last month of the regular season. What can you control? Well, from a player perspective, the f- first thing I would go, as long as we're on the small ball thing, before we get to the front office perspective, Rudy you got to punish small ball lineups. Yeah. You've got to punish them. There have to be more dunks. There have to be coaches who say, I know we want to go small ball, but if we put this 6'8 guy out there who shoots threes, okay, a, a Morris type player, we're in trouble. Like, we're giving up to every possession at the other end. Between Donovan Mitchell getting layups, and I realized Donovan couldn't really drive because he was hurt, right? Between Donovan Mitchell layups and Rudy Gobert dunks, like, they're going to score two points every time down the floor. So I feel like that's the first thing that's got to happen is Rudy's got to punish small ball lineups. I think that's true. Um, and I don't, I don't want to sound like the biggest Gobert apologist in the media right now, and maybe, maybe that's my title. I'll own it if it is. Um, 
he he needs to punish smaller lineups, but he's he's never been a post up guy, and I don't think he needs to be. Um, a, a big part of Gobert punishing smaller lineups falls on the guards and the wings on that team. And, and I, you know, I don't think it was as bad as it was a couple years ago when when there were clips of Gobert going around the internet, jumping up and down the lane, and screaming at his teammates for not getting him the ball. But there were still times in that series where he's rolling to the rim, and the only guy between him and the basket is somebody like Reggie Jackson or Marcus Morris or Nick Batum. Um, and that that ball's got to be there. Um, and, and I, you know, a lot of people have countered me online saying, well, he can't catch the ball. Um, he can't, you know, make a move if he does get it. So get it to him high, throw him a lob. Um, uh, you're totally, I, I believe this a hundred percent. Don't throw the ball to Rudy, throw the ball towards the rim and let him yeah. go get it. And when he's Absolutely. going to the rim to get it, I think then the numbers are off the charts in his he's favor. One of the best. Right. One of the best lob finishers in the league. And frankly, he, he hasn't played with a great lob passer um, maybe his whole career. I mean, even when Ricky Rubio was there, there were all those stories about how he just wasn't used to throwing lobs. Um, and Conley was coming from playing with Gasol for 10 or 15 years or whatever it was. He's certainly not a lob finisher. Um, you know, Mitchell obviously has time to develop that part of his game. But when I watch, you know, these, these guys are kind of anomalies, so you can't expect to have someone like this necessarily. But you, you watch a lob passer like Trey Young or James Harden, and you think, man, what would Rudy Gobert do with somebody like that setting him up? Um, you know, I, I think with a really good lob passer, he's probably close to 20 points a game. Um, and certainly if teams go small, he's going to destroy them. And, and I, I love the way that you express that. It's, it's just throw the ball to the rim. And let him go get it because his length is is pretty much unparalleled. He's pretty explosive for a guy of his size. Um, so I think, you know, certainly it's on him to a degree, but it's also on those teammates to get him the ball where he can be successful. And I think simple pick and rolls with lobs, I, I think, would have torn those smaller lineups apart. The Utah Jazz in the regular season were twenty-one and fifteen on the road. In the playoffs, they went. They, they were good in Memphis. They went 2-0 in Memphis, but they went 0-3 in L.A. Not only did they go 0-3, just like the toughness, the grit, the resilience, I thought it was lacking in all three of the losses. There were just times they had that look in their eye like, we're not going to get it done, we know we're not going to get it done, and we don't really know what we should change now, but we just know this isn't working. What are they going to do? And 21-15 and 15 is not a horrible road record. It's not the best road record in the league, but it's not far off it. So it's not yeah, like they I mean, were terrible. The Suns were the best team on the road. And then the Nuggets, and then I think the Jazz are tied for third with the Clippers. So they're not terrible in the regular season, but in the playoffs, yeah, did that bug you, the look in their eye in the three road games? Yeah, I mean, you're right. 21-15 and 15 is a solid road record, and there was... I think there is something to what you're saying. There's every year in the postseason or when the postseason starts, um, there's always this little bit of me, and it's been this way for the last few years because last year it was the Bucks, this year it was the Jazz. There are these teams that just have ridiculous regular season numbers, historic regular season numbers. Frankly, I think it was the Bucks maybe two years ago had one of the best um, simple rating system, which combines point differential and strength of schedule. I think they had like top ten in the league. Um, and so I look at that as a numbers guy and think, well, of course they should win the title. Um, but then there's this little piece of me that just 
it's it's sort of intangible. Um, you know, numbers can't really measure it. I always trust guys who've done it before. Um, <laughs> as I say this, I realize it doesn't really apply to that Clippers team after Kawhi went down. Um, but it's just there's there's like a safety in predicting that Kawhi Leonard will prevail or a safety in predicting that LeBron will prevail. Um, and I think for teams that haven't gone all the way, there is a possibility that you get in those moments where, you know, you're on the road, like you said, and a run starts and you kind of tighten up. Um, you, you, you know, go away from the things that made you so good in the regular season. Maybe your shots come up a little bit short. Um, maybe, maybe you try to do a hero ball thing instead of throwing it up to the rim for Rudy. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm not saying that specifically about any one player. I think there's just a combination of things that can happen for a team, um, that hasn't done it before. And it's kind of weird to say that about the jazz because they are playoff tested. I mean, they've gone to the postseason every year for a while now, um, but they haven't gotten too deep into the playoffs. And so those moments may still kind of um, back them down, I guess, for lack of a better term. I, I think you're on to something there. Andy Bailey joining us here to talk uh, playoffs, NBA analyst for Bleacher Report. So off season, I think there's three different things the jazz front office can do with the roster. Uh, that that everybody's on to, and I don't, also don't think there's a chance they'll go three for three. If they do, I'll be really impressed, and Dennis Lindsay will be up there for executive of the year again. But they need more size on the guard line. They need uh, yep. the longer athletic wing defender, somebody to pair with Royce O'Neal, who even Dennis in his exit interviews alluded to. There are situations where he's a great defender and other situations that are a little bit more of a challenge for him. Uh, isolated at the top of the key is a little bit more of a challenge for him. Put him on the side where the sideline helps him a little bit and you accentuate his strength, he's a better defender. Put him in the middle floor with quickness, that that might be an issue and someone might be able to blow by him down the lane. We saw that in the playoffs. Um, mm-hmm. So long, a long wing defender to pair with Royce, uh, a big guard to mix in that rotation when you need to match up, and then a small ball five option because they didn't really have a small ball lineup. Some people want to play Ilya Silva. I think they'd seen enough out of him defensively to think that that was not going to work. So those three things, are you on with uh, – are there any of those you don't agree with? Would you prioritize one over another? I, I think you're right on um, with all of those. And like you said, it would be very difficult to go three of three. It might even be hard to go two of three. Um but if you get if you get one, it's better than the situation that you're in right now. I think the first one that you identified is one that's not talked about enough. Um, the size of their starting backcourt is just really small. Uh, this season, when they finally made players list their heights without their shoes, I think Conley and Mitchell both came in at six one. Um, and and Mitchell can mitigate that a little bit with his wingspan. Um, but there are just a lot of backcourts that are going to be able to look right over the top of you. If you, if you have two starting guards who are six, one, um, and I, you know, you, somebody may correct me on this, um, listening, but I think Royce O'Neal was even listed at six, four after they, you know, changed the way that they list heights. So he's not big either. He looks bigger on the floor to me. Um, but he's not six, eight, Nicholas Batum. He's not six, eight, six, nine, Marcus Morris. Um, so if you come up against a team like the Clippers and, and another thing I think that should be noted is the Clippers were probably the worst possible matchup for the Jazz. I mean, this this was the team that could expose all of this, and there may not have been another team left in the playoffs that could. 
to this degree. And Phoenix has some wings that are kind of similar, so maybe the same thing would have happened against Phoenix. But I think the Clippers are the worst possible matchup in terms of all this stuff. Um, when you come up against a team with a bunch of guys in that 6'6 six, six to 6'8 six, range who can all shoot a little bit, who can all dribble a little bit, um, it's just it's going to be a huge problem. Um, and, and I think whether it's a wing defender, a bigger guard, or a small ball five – Anyone who can contain on the perimeter a little bit better would have helped because there was there were stretches in the second half of that last game where it was just blow by after blow yep. by, and then all of a sudden Rudy Gobert is in this terrible you know what do I do? <laughs> do I protect the rim or do I go get Terrence Mann? And I think he he made the calculation, and it's probably a fair one to to protect the rim. And so over and over and over he's late getting out to Mann, and those are the highlights that get shared on the internet is him you know being a second or two late to Mann. Um, but if you're in that situation, what else are you going to do? I mean, you, you can give up a layup or give us, give up a three and obviously the three's worth more points, but nobody wants to give up layups. Um, so he was in a terrible bind. So <clears throat> this is a long winded answer, but I agree that those are three things that they need. If they can even get one of them, it helps. Um, you know, I, I'm not a guy who's a big G league aficionado, but I, I still kind of wonder what's going on with Jarrell Brantley. I mean, Maybe he's a guy who can play small ball five for a few minutes here and there. Um, I, I don't think they had great options this uh, season, and, and so, yeah, those are going to be priorities this off season. But I just can't help but think they should have tried something, try anything in that second half, even if it's Joe Ingles at the five. <laughs> I mean, he's, he's not fleet of foot, obviously, compared to a lot of other guys, but he's not going to be any slower than Nicholas Batum. Um, so those, I, I think you've identified three important things that they got to go after. And even if they get one or two, I think it's a successful offseason. So there's another part of me that says this really sucks because it looked so wide open. But for a team that, uh, you know, this group hadn't been out of the first round the last couple of years, that's not the profile of a champion. Now, like you say, Phoenix might end up winning this, and Phoenix hadn't even been in the playoffs in a decade. So that's not the profile of a champion either. So, you know, Milwaukee, I guess, is the one team that if they win it, you can say, well, they were building towards it, and this makes sense. Mm-hmm. Because the Atlanta Hawks and the Phoenix Suns are coming out of nowhere, historically speaking, and that shouldn't happen. You know, maybe the Clippers or Bucks, you understand a little more, but not the Clippers without Kawhi. Mm-hmm. So only the Bucks would fit the model of what, how a champion should progress. Having said that, the Jazz are on a progression path. Stockton and Malone didn't get there until their seventh and eighth years and required a first-round upset to give them an easier opponent in the second round to get to the Western Final. So shouldn't everybody stand back even though, well, that's never going to happen and I'm asking the impossible? No, I think you're looking at it the rational way. Um, <laughs> well, who's got time for that? <laughs> I don't think there are. And I kind of understand why so many people are irrational at this point. It's been, I think, 10, 15, 20 years in the NBA of a pattern being established that if you don't get it done in two or three years, it's time to break it up. Um, Where, I mean, you bring up a great example with the 90s Jazz and how long it took them to get to the finals. Um, It took Michael Jordan quite a while to get to his first finals. And that was sort of the model in the past. We've gone away from that now. Um, And we're in this. We're in this. Super constant, teams, <laughs> yeah. Super teams. Turnover. If you don't, if you don't have a superstar, you can't win. Um, and if you don't get it done in two or three years, you got to try something else. And so I think there will be a temptation 
to look at this roster and say, well, you know, we've we've gotten cooked by a small ball lineup a few times in the playoffs. Um, maybe we explore the mark explore the market for Rudy Gobert. I don't I don't know if that's a good idea. Um, because like I said, against 24, 25 teams, he is dominant. I mean, he. I, I looked this number up the other day. In the last five seasons, the only player in the league with a better total plus minus than Gobert is Stephen Curry. Um, if you trade Gobert and suddenly the team's built around Mitchell, I mean, it might work, but you could also be, you know, seventh or eighth in the playoffs next season. You'd be the, I think Gobert, you'd be the, you'd be the Portland Trailblazers. For sure. I mean, you'd be in a very similar situation. That's a great comparison. Um, Gobert is a guy that, that almost guarantees you a top-five defense and gives you a really good shot at home-court advantage every single season. And so I, don't, I think it's way too early to pull the plug on that. Um, I, I think what you got to do, and this is more difficult to do, especially with the size of Gobert's contract, um, but you have to be able to adjust for those four or five teams that can punish you when you have Gobert on the floor. You have to have some other option that you can go to, even if it's, you know, 10 minutes in the second half, 15 minutes in the second half, there's got to be some kind of an adjustment available um, because every year, especially in the Western Conference, we see year after year, there's at least two or three teams towards the end that can do that. They can they can deploy those positionless lineups that can hurt you from the outside, and, and we've seen that that's trouble for Gobert and the Jazz. So to go back to that whole building thing where the Jazz, uh, it takes seven or eight years, depending on which player you're talking about, for Stockton Malone to get to a conference final. And then they go to five conference finals in seven years, and we all get spoiled. And by the way, I showed up in town at exactly the right time. Thank you very much. Um, (laughs) But that team, the win in 92, the first one, they moved everybody on the roster. They lost to the Blazers in the conference finals in six and of the Clyde Drexler group, right? And so they walk off. They lose that series. They walk off. That's the spring of 92. By the fall of 94, 18 months later, there's only three guys left on the roster. Stockton, Malone, Benoit. They flip everybody else. And because they went five times in seven years, and because they kept a couple, you know, the, the stars together... Nobody really notices that. So yeah. the people who are screaming, oh, go bear, I'm like, wow. No, because of all the reasons you said. But the roster right now is set up where there's a guy or two around Gobert and uh, Donovan Mitchell whose contract comes up every year. It's Conley and Niang this year, Niang being the ninth guy in the rotation. It's Ingles the next year. It's Bogey and Favors the year after that. It's Royce O'Neal and Jordan Clarkson after that. So the roster is set up to flip if that's what they decide needs to be done. Some of these guys are younger, some of these guys are older, and that will you know, obviously inform the decision. But they're there to flip a guy or two every year, and then if you accelerate it with a trade... I don't know if it'll be as dramatic as what they did in 92, but this roster could change dramatically. I don't think it changes dramatically this summer because Dennis Lindsay just said, we see in Houston, when he was in Houston, and in San Antonio, now in Utah, we've seen guys in their second or third year really make big steps forward. This will be year three for Conley if he resigns. This will be year three for Bogey. So, but if they get to another year and, you know, if they go out in the first round next year, well, then there's going to be massive roster turnover. I don't think it will involve Gobert and Mitchell, but beyond Gobert and Mitchell, it might involve anybody because you've got a lot of guys who will either be free agents or only have one year left on their deal. So it seems to me that's the timeline for massive change. 
Yeah, I think you could be onto something there. And I, I don't necessarily think that anything should be off the table over the next few years. Probably Donovan Mitchell. Um, because, and I, you know, I should be stronger than probably even. <laughs> Mitchell. Um, they're, they're, yeah. Go ahead. I mean, Mitchell's they're, they're the guy. So didn't didn't guys. you? Didn't yeah. you watch him in the playoffs on one angle, score 39, and have nine <laughs> rebounds and nine assists and think, he's doing this and they know he can't drive and jump, and he's going for yeah. 39 and nine? To me, Bubble Mitchell, that w- he just happened to be in a bubble. That's who he is. Doesn't have anything to do with yeah. shooting background and travel. You can ride Mitchell as a number one scoring option to an NBA title. The last two years, three playoff series have convinced me. I'm I'm with you there. And yeah, I think probably was too light of a word to use there. I mean, he's... He's ridiculous. I think when I looked it up, he's got the fifth highest playoff scoring average in in league history. Um, the guys behind guys like Durant and, and Jordan. I mean, he's in rarefied air there. Um, and I think it's especially impressive, as you just said, that he was doing it on one leg here in the last couple of games against the Clippers. So let's put him off the table. Um, I don't necessarily think that they should rule out a Gobert trade. I think that they should have to be blown away by an offer for that to happen, and I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think other teams in the league, after what just happened in the playoffs, are going to blow that jazz away with an offer. Um, so those two guys are probably set. Um, and like you said, there there are opportunities for turnover over the next few years. I've, I've brought this up on your show and elsewhere a bunch of times. I, I am concerned about the size of a Conley-Mitchell backcourt, but I don't know what else you do if you let Mike Conley walk? You don't have cap space suddenly if you don't re-sign him. They're already over the cap. Um, so, you know, I don't know if it's a two- or a three-year deal for Conley, whatever it may be, um, but you might have to sign him because you just you can't really lose that asset. Um, so I think you're right. I think the timeline might be pushed out another year or two before there are big changes made. I think as far as top twos go, there really aren't many that get better than Mitchell and Gobert and still have some potential to grow. I think, I think there are still some steps that Mitchell can take. Um, you know, Gobert's probably a finished product at this point. And I, you know, I'm not one of those guys who thinks he needs to add a jump hook or anything like that. I think he can score 16, 17 points a game as a lob finisher. Um, so I think they've got a great top two. And I think over the next couple of years, if they don't break through next season, um, yeah, they're they're going to have to start thinking about adjusting that roster a little bit. I don't care about Gobert shooting 15-footers. we got people tweeting at no. us. I don't think he needs to add that. I just think he needs to be able to finish through contact when he's inside of five feet. Yeah, I think if you, you know, if he's got Reggie Jackson on him or something like that, you should be able to dump it to him and he turns and dunks. Um, I, I think that should be the extent of his post moves. I don't even necessarily think he needs like a drop step. Um, you know, it'd be nice if he could add something like that. But I think he gives you a decent amount of offense already with what he's got. But I think I think that point that you just made is very fair. If if he's got a guy who's five, six, seven inches shorter than him, um, you know, it should be a little bit easier to punish them for that. Andy, I have many questions about the NBA and the NBA playoffs. We'll have to get to them another time. But real quick, uh, who's in the finals and who wins? What a crazy conference finals right um (laughs) yeah i I think the safe pick is probably phoenix and milwaukee in the finals just because Kawhi's out like we've said a bunch of times and i i'm i'm gonna say milwaukee i mean you can hear me starting the word phoenix but i'm gonna say milwaukee (laughs) it's (laughs) such a tough call right now i think it would be a cool story if chris paul broke through um i i think 
I think Milwaukee's just a little bit more talented at the top. I'm, as I say this, I'm kind of you know thinking through the rosters in my head, and I'm not so sure. Um, but just for the sake of giving you a pick, I'll say Milwaukee. Andy, we appreciate the time. Look forward to having you again on the show down the road. Appreciate it.